Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. This is the second half of our June show, our famous reviews edition. Which we have overhauled to make shorter and punchier, just like our Jeff. <laughs> also, we welcome a new contributor to the show. Deck will be giving us his view on what is worth watching on the various streaming services. Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. This month, I rewatched the wonderful Peter Sellers comedy Being There, and suddenly realised it's a documentary about modern British politics. Hi there, my name is Graham. My main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. Reflecting on that introduction, Jeff, I think we should have a leadership contest. Hi, my name is Neil. I just like films, and you'll get my vote, Graham, twice. Thanks, Chauncey. Uh, sorry, I'm Neil. <laughs> Let's see how many votes you get. None. <laughs> Seconds out, you two. We have more important things to discuss, like explaining our new review section format to our listeners. Before that, however, let's talk about the shows out already for the month. Our inbox has received a lot of correspondence on the Rupert Christie interview and the cinema versus streaming debate. You have a comment on one of them there, Neil. I do. Paul said of the Rupert Christie interview, the best interview to date, and I think I agree. His experience and love of the job just oozes through in the stories. Absolutely top draw. As for cinema versus streaming, again, some very kind feedback. From Darren, I think this was my favourite episode that you've done. High praise indeed. Thanks, Darren. From Deck, halfway through, and wanted to sit in the car and listen to the rest. Can't wait for the drive home. Well, thank you to everyone who sent comments in. Please keep them coming. We like those positive ones. However, let's have a look at the changes to our end of month show. And you'll see there that not all the comments we receive have been positive. Our review section has drawn its share of concern, and I think fairly, to be honest. People have been saying the reviews can be too long. I can be too shouty. Yeah. Well, yep. that, that bit I don't agree with. <laughs> and in fact, it's the last time I read out a comment from my wife. <laughs> and, and Neil sometimes is too quiet. Apologies. Apologies! I would say more, but Jeff never allows me to get a word in. In an attempt to address this, we're going to mix things up a bit. The reviews are going to be shorter and we're planning to cover more films. Our film reviews are now going to be expanded to not only cover what we watch in cinemas, but also comment on a classic we may have seen on TV during the month. And just to make it more fun, the reviews will be driven by the team members who have seen it. Although I'm sure those who haven't seen it We'll have an opinion, Jeff. You may well be asking what's happened to our TV reviews. These will be incorporated into our new section, Dex Guide to Streaming, which we're calling Carry On Streaming, which will be on the show every other month. The first of Dex's new features is coming later in this show. We are trying something different here and would very much appreciate any feedback. OK, let's start with our review section. Over to you, Jeff, to introduce it. Welcome to our new review section. As Neil said, this is organised by how many people have seen a film. And interestingly, for this first month, talk about planning, <laughs> there have been no films which have been seen by all three of us. So let's look at reviews by two of the team. And we'll start off with a classic that Neil and I have seen, Toy Story 4. Months after the events of Toy Story 3... Bonnie creates a new toy called Forky. Glad you got that right, Graham. 
When Forky goes missing, Woody sets out to find him and has an unexpected encounter with someone from his past. Can this be any good after Toy Story 3 seemingly completed the story? Well, I was slightly nervous going in there thinking I I didn't really want to go and see it, to be honest. I was happy to wait. I was more than slightly nervous, Neil. And it's just a money money making thing, like Cars Two and Cars Three, or however many they've made. But actually, when you saw it and rang me up and said, "Gotta see it," it is absolutely brilliant. It was the trilogy. I mean, quadrilogy. I needed on the thing. It was a good finish, wasn't it? I, I agree. Do you, I mean, one of the things, Toy Story Three, the ending is so complete. Do you think it doesn't need anything? You think that this will just be a cash in? But this is essentially Woody's story. You go back on a character that was missing from three, and it follows that through, and, and I thought it was just wonderful. The thing is, it begins with a standard Toy Story fair with Woody looking after a new toy, helping it with its existential angst, which I found funny. And that scene where he gets his first dust mote. That's it, yes. <laughs> That's it, because he's kind of put in the corner. And... Much of the first act follows episode one, two and three type stories. So you're sort of wondering where it's going to go. Then we get Bo Peep and she's well self-possessed, literally. Yeah. But do you think, I mean, the one thing that was missing for me, three had a real darkness when it touches on themes of death. This doesn't go down to that level. Although I would say the ventriloquist dummies. They were nightmares, right. nightmares in the making for young kids. Take your young kids to this film; they love it. They they weren't that bad for for young people, but for older people, I think it was yeah decidedly creepy. And the way they walked as well, because of course uh, ventriloquist dummies. So I heard I saw a review somewhere that they had had their legs broken, but ventriloquist dummies don't have legs. No, they so they were sort the of knee. shuffling along. Oh no! And it was yeah, it was it was decidedly creepy and. Have you ever seen Dead of Night? No, for a number of reasons. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dead of <laughs> Night. Okay. Okay. 1945 <laughs> British horror film. Who would have thought that a film that's almost 80 years old would still scare Neil? But there's a, there's a sequence in that with Michael Redgrave where he has a ventriloquist dummy and this dummy may or may not have a life of its own. And that dummy, every time I was seeing these dummies, that film came back to my mind. I remember that film, yeah. I, I saw that when I was very young, scared the living daylights. And I bet it was that sequence that, that yes, scared you more, because yeah. nothing else in the film is that frightening. I mean, it's very colourful. Do you think the pacing was really good? Uh, yeah, I thought it just yeah. rattled along. It was a terrific story. I mean, the film has depths. As for me, it was it was at the end, and I was walking out of the cinema thinking about it, which must mean it's a really good yeah. film. I suddenly realised that it may, maybe some of the reviewers don't agree with me. Or For me, it felt like you got to the end and it was Woody is the carer, the guardian, the parent, looking after. Everybody asked him what to do. What's the plan? And at the end, he decides to leave. And I just thought, that's me as a parent. Yeah. You're no longer needed. It's definitely put you put in the cupboard. You're not you know don't have to do anything. The kids are grown up. Yeah, go and they leave go the and house. Start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, go and start. But Woody was good at the adventures, wasn't he? The others had to sort of um, fit in. Gone off to have more adventures, and I, it's old people. You know what to do when the kids have gone. But but spoiler alert on have this. Have adventures so, of your own. Yeah, but spoiler alert, and again, do they you agree definitely, with this? Definitely, yeah, so please, please, no, spoiler alert. No, yeah, no, for, for what's coming up next, Toy Story 1, 
started with that beginning of that friendship yes. of Buzz and Woody, and this ends that friendship. And this is why this is where it feels a complete ending, even as much as Toy Story 3 did. But even then, Buzz was still, Woody, what do we do? And, of course, passing over the sheriff's badge to... Listen to your inner voice. Jesse, yes. Yeah, listen to your inner voice, <laughs> which is hugely funny. Passing over the sheriff's badge and Jesse and Buzz become parents of their own and they don't need the grandparents. So it's absolutely right. Woody and Bo Peep get to start going on their own adventures yeah. as as pensioners, effectively. But, you know? but, Neil, I have to ask you, what did you think of Duke Kaboom? Oh, wow. Not only is it voiced by Keanu Reeves, who seriously cool... It's actually hilarious. And it, can you do it? Yes, I, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> He's the most famous Canadian... Toy, is to, he? Um, a daredevil yeah, dare. motorcyclist. So he's the and evil he's, Knievel. And he's, he's, yes. No, but he, he yeah. crashes. <laughs> All the time. So kaboom. So, oh. so it is evil Knievel, then. <laughs> it is evil <laughs> Knievel. And at the end, he crashes. He never actually survives these things. For me... This is the best Pixar film of the last 10 years, with the exception of Inside Out. So it's the second yes. best then. Yes. <laughs> well yeah. worked out. Well worked well, out. It, it, yeah, it is. I mean, it's massively big on, on female empowerment. Yes, Lasseter yeah. helped with the story. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, John. <laughs> um, as did Rashida Jones. It's, it's hugely funny. It's, a, it's an adult film. Does it work on two it's levels? It does work on two levels. It's, it's more, more it's a, a kid's ma- film than Toy Story 3. It's very much a parent's film. Yeah, it's it's a great film. I, I, as I said, I think it's Pixar's second best film of the last 10 years. And certainly my hit of the summer so far. Yes. Oh, right. Yes, well, easy. I'm, I'm off to see it this week. So no. Good. Right, we've, we, looked- we've ruined it for you. No, no, no. no. I mean, I read some of the reviews and people said, how can an animated film go into depth on existential angst and really grown-up subjects and still have kids flocking to see it because they think they're seeing it on a whole different level? Yeah, they so, are, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're seeing it as an adventure film and other parents are getting a completely different message. It's Woody, it's Buzz, yeah. it's, yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Jolly good. Absolutely outstanding. It really is that good. Well, we're seeing. Graham, what's next? And continuing on the Neil and Jeff Love Fest, (laughs) next one is Godzilla, King of Monsters. So, five years after the events of the first Godzilla film, and nothing more has been heard from the giant creature... However, thanks to the actions of a couple of secret organisations, the Titans have all been awakened and humanity is in great danger of being exterminated. A monster hit for you, Neil? The good point is that I didn't think it was as bad as I thought it would be. That's good. And the special effects are magnificent. The battle scenes are spectacular. The bad points that it's rubbish. (laughs) Right, so can I ask a question here then? What do you think of the previous Godzilla film? I haven't seen it because I thought it was going to be awful and from the reviews it was and from the reviews this one was but I thought I'd better see one of the films that you two had seen. Right, well, <laughs> the, the problem with the first Godzilla film is the interest in human characters all got killed off within 40 minutes so you're left with these two-dimensional dummies and the monster. This film 
it changes it by going full speed to get that plot out there. As such, Krampus director Michael Doherty, who I liked him in that, and he's clearly better with smaller scale, it just goes barking mad. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, that twist of, well, I'm actually looking after the monsters, but actually I'm an eco-warrior, and I'll free a monster to destroy the world, it was just bollocks. Yeah, yeah, Tywin Lannister um, yeah. <laughs> being a complete idiot. Yeah, it just didn't make a lot of sense. One reviewer said that it was like a Game of Thrones episode. Monsters replacing armies, Tywin Lannister is an eco-terrorist, and really low lighting. Yeah. Absolutely rubbish. Well, okay. In defence, <laughs> a couple of things in defence here to come back at you. Firstly, young star... Millie Bobby Brown from Netflix's Stranger Things. Okay, she I, was good. She she gave a great performance. I thought, you know, you got people like Charles Dance and Vera Flamingo who are normally really good. Ah, oh, yes, wooden as hell, yeah. And as I said, the twist on work. But essentially, what you've got, this is Godzilla, right? It's no yeah. tricks. The clue is in the title. It's a bloody monster movie. You do not make a two-hour, ten-minute monster movie. 90 minutes, that's yeah, what it should gosh. be. And if they'd cut it down to focus on the battles, I thought it'd be good, because I thought the battle scenes and the cinematography around them with the various monsters was really good and really exciting. At one point, Godzilla's been frozen for 10 years, is it, or something? Oh, no, he went no, off to sleep. frozen, he? isn't he? No, no, he went to his underground lair and was sleeping oh, that off was it. from the trauma of the first film. It was like, sort of, you know, like monster therapy. He was on the couch dreaming about what went wrong and what he can do to put himself right. And they and they awakened him by uh, setting off a nuclear explosion next to him. Is that his alarm clock, is it? That is it. Yeah, that's in his alarm clock. And suddenly he's awake and alive. Of course, that cost Ken Watanabe his life because he had to take it in. But that's the only thing he did, apart from a few lines. Sally Hawkins completely ignored. And David Strathern just... Just why were they there? Because they had script from the first one. You could and they put were extras signed on. in. But no, then they were signed on from the first film. Oh, just... So they had themselves killed off. I'm sure there was a but, good story in there, but... But yeah. no. It doesn't need to be a story. You need the monsters battling it out. I thought that was good. It could be cut down. But do you notice that there's only one of each different type of monster? Yeah. How do these things have sex? <laughs> yeah, just a point. It's a big silly, stupid, monster, bashy-crashy, summer extravaganza. You're looking for detailed narrative and plot structure, were you? I was looking for a bit of fun, you know. I mean, well, look at Kong Skull Island. Now, oh, I no, thought Kong Skull brilliant. Island was really good. And it's obviously, there's a lot of Kong references in this. Next March, Godzilla versus Kong comes out. So it, it's clearly set in the way there. And I thought Kong, with its 70 setting... The way they did the creatures there told a different type of Kong story. Of this whole sequence, I think, is the best film. I really enjoyed it. It was the right length in terms of I was never bored. But in this, I've got to agree with Neil, I, I, I was bored with with a lot of it. The performances were shockingly wooden. When you want a big summer movie, you want to capture people. You want to get them into it. And this just nonsense. As I said, I go back two hours, ten minutes for monsters tearing chunks out of each other. You don't need it. Well, I, I deliberately avoided it because I absolutely hated the Transformer movies. I thought they were just dreadful. This and is I better thought, than that. And oh, I would thought, you say so, Neil? I thought mm, this would be well. more of the big summer blockbusters, big creatures bashing the living daylights. They, they were big creatures, and there was a butterfly that came in and saved the world. No, no that was Mothra. 
Yeah. Really? Really? Yeah, and I'm amazed. You guys are like your superhero things. When it comes to super monsters, you don't want to know. At one point, Dr. Emma Russell, a doctor, said, Our planet will perish, and so will we, unless we set Godzilla free. (laughs) What? (laughs) I thought they bombed it to bits in the first film, and next time we wake him up with a nuclear weapon, and he's going to fight on our side. Was that a line of dialogue or a rhyming thing from Stormzy? No, that's something I something I read, just read on IMDb. Okay. I guess summing up, Neil, would you say that it's not really a big summer header too long? There was probably a really good story in there, but they they just shoehorned everything. Everything they could think of, eco-terrorism, atomic testing, awesome monsters, good ideas, possibly a story, maybe a story in there. And they shoehorned it all into the film and edited out any kind of depth to the characters and any kind of coherent story. Okay, well, Neil and I will be talking about another summer blockbuster in a moment. (laughs) But let's take a little bit of a breather for one that Graham and I saw, Uh which is much smaller scale. Neil, over to you for the synopsis. Booksmart, a coming-of-age story of two female friends, Molly, Beanie Feldstein, and Amy, Caitlin Deaver, who realise on the last day of school what they have missed in their study-hard lives. So on the night before graduation, they decide to party like no one has ever done before. Graham, were your school days like this? Absolutely. Well, almost identical. Well, apart from the easy access to drugs, getting arrested, meeting a serial killer and driving a stolen car through a fence to arrive on time for the graduation ceremony. <laughs> Again, this really exceeded my expectations. I really feared the worst after looking at the trailer. The film was trying very hard to be a John Hughes movie for the first act, and then it found its own style, and I thought by the second act it really took off. Well, I'd pick up on that John Hughes style there, because you're right, it did try to be that. It tried to ape a lot of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yep. Particularly scenes like, you know, when they go to the rich guy's party and there's nobody there. there. That's something straight out of Ferris. The problem is they're so bloody annoying, these characters, in the beginning. Everything is in your face. It's dialed up to 11. You you look at the best of John Hughes, The Breakfast Club, even Ferris to a certain extent. It's, it's a slow, gradual. Back. Absolutely. Yeah, so you, you get build, to know the character. You get to know the characters. And Ferris in particular, when it goes off and it's flights of fantasy, yeah. it, it takes you with it because you've, you've got that. What this film does is almost in reverse. You've got this really annoying start with these characters who are just in your face. But then as you get, and particularly as you get to that party at the end, You've got all these characters that you get to understand them, even the rich kid in the end. Yeah. Then you've got Billy Lord's character who plays one note. She just wonderful. And she is just (laughs) tremendous. Neil, I am amazed how you missed this because this film is so much up your alley of the type of things you like. But I thought the only thing that gets me with, and it'll be controversial, so it may not make the final edit, the LGBT inclusivity. Everything is accepted as normal in a way in schools that I don't think it would be. I think this sort of bullying and so forth still goes on, particularly in America, but also in the UK. That just seems far too perfect for my liking. Yeah, think? I, I, I think that might just be us being old people. I mean, I, I know my kids accept gay people in their lives, just don't even think about it, doesn't register at all. So I, I love 
Billy Lord's character, I actually had a bit of a switch as I went through this. So it starts off with Molly, the more dominant character, and, and I found her a little annoying. And as they went through, it slowly became less about Molly and more about the follow-on, Amy, the other girl. And, yeah. I, and, and I, there was that switch about, and I, and I know she had the, the sort of lesbian scene with the superstar girl in, in, the, uh, in the ladies. Um, so she meets this girl who looked just like James Dean. I, I admit, didn't pick up on I that I thought at all. she was just like, she had the leather jacket. She just looked like a real 1950s superstar. And I just thought that that was really good. However, the scene where they turn into dolls because they've had so much drugs oh, was yeah. hysterical. I was in fits. It was really funny. I think it's the right film released at the right time of year because it's coming to the end of the school year anyway. It's out there for the summer season and it's not a blockbuster. So I think all of that is really clever. I just could see that they were trying to bring John Hughes up to date and I just wish they'd dial down, had the confidence in the material so the first part of the film played lower key and brought you with those characters rather than just annoyed you. It was definitely a film of two halves. I mean, it really picked up the jokes and the gags in the second half, uh, especially when Amy gets arrested and those sorts of things, and she's talking to the police. That was brilliant. Yeah. That was really, really good. As I said, I'm amazed Neil didn't see it. It would have been in his films of the year that would have been. Yeah, it should have done. Maybe I'll try and find it somewhere. Yeah, well worth it. So we've had a break of a normal film. Graham, uh, do you want to introduce our next one, another blockbuster? Oh, right, okay, sort of. Yeah, this is X. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, you didn't see it, Graham. I didn't see it, yeah, for obvious reasons. I'm a comic book fan. So I didn't go to to see X-Men Dark Phoenix. This film is a space rescue mission by a team of X-Men goes wrong. And Jean Grey absorbs a strange space energy. Back on Earth, Jean gradually realises she has a tremendous power, one that threatens the balance between humans and mutants. Uh, Graham, uh, do you, what did you think of the comics, the original comics? The original comic was fantastic, yeah. I loved the original comic. But, you know, they've, They're they've, almost d- they've lined, done this before. Yeah. You know, they did uh, X-Men 3... The Last Stand, was the same Phoenix story. You know, that was a flop. So let's do that flop again. Mm. Well, they were approaching it with this new cast. And to me, as much as, you know, my feelings on superhero (laughs) movies, but First Men, Days of Future Past, and even Apocalypse, I quite enjoyed. I, I thought they were all really good. But they touched this dark Phoenix story, and it just falls apart. It's just a, a misfire. I mean, it is better than Last Stand, because it did pace yeah. itself properly, but it just drags. So, Neil, what do you think? I thought it was awful. Um, it's sluggish. It's as if nobody really wanted to do it, that they were signed up for it. The likes of McAvoy, Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt are s- superstars now, yeah. but they weren't back then. I mean, okay, McAvoy and Fassbender had done stuff, but they, they weren't at the level they're at, and they really didn't seem to want to be there. Yeah. which unfortunately made the rest of the cast look even worse as well. I mean, it's not really, I guess, their fault. They've been forced to do a fourth movie. I mean, if they'd ended it on Logan and said, or drawn a line under it, I think they would have been okay. I mean, Sophie Turner is in there as a pivotal character, but she's just bland. Well, that's the reason I think that's why they did it. Fox have been sold to Disney, and I think they really wanted to do something. They had Sophie Turner on the books. So they uh, thought, well... 
you know, she's really popular. Well, let's make some money out of her. She's really good as well as an actress. I mean, no, I her so. story... I think, I think she was let down by a really rubbish script. No, have you seen her do anything different than what she does in Game of Thrones? I haven't. Oh, in Game of Thrones, she went through a complete journey from simpering little silly girl, girl, silly little girl, girl yeah. to being one of the most dangerous people in Westeros. I mean, yeah. she yeah, didn't female. cross her. she's dangerous. Yeah, Apocalypse was terrible. Um, no, no, I liked Apocalypse. I thought no, Apocalypse no, was okay. Apocalypse was subpar. No, 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 no. Up to now, it had been really good, but it yeah. just went. So is uh, the film just a setup for New Mutants? Well, that's a good point, Neil. It has another Game of Thrones cast member in it, Maisie Williams, this time. Yes. It's been put back. Put back, I think. Years. But that may be because this one was put back. Well, this was, and I'll touch on that in a minute because there's some interesting points in that, but I want to pick up on something you've been saying there about the fact that these characters weren't engaged or brought in by contract. And I think that's true because there's two big emotional beats in this film and neither of them work. One, and this is a spoiler alert for anybody listening that might want to go make themselves a cup of tea, is the death of Mystique, Mm. which is shown in the trailer. So, you know, it, it's actually clearly shown in the trailer, and it didn't help matters that then when that trailer came out, Fox said, yes, she dies. Oh, Nice right. one, Fox. And the second was at the very end of the film, and another spoiler alert, this isn't in the trailers, but the transition happens to Jean Grey. And that didn't work either, not on an emotional level. So it was very much in that regard, like Last Stand. Two attempts at this story... And neither of them, really. I, I would say, Neil, what are your thoughts? Neither have worked. Arguably, the first one, I thought, was a little better with the, the final act. Yeah, not really. Not really. And, and this is going to be a hard thing to say. And I mention this now in all seriousness, because I know that I'm going to get kicked on this. But maybe Brian Singer was more integral to this series than anybody realised. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably, yeah. Um I mean, it's one of the first big action comic movies that I haven't seen on its opening week. And it's basically because I read the reviews on Reddit by the true fans and they all just panned it. And I thought, oh, God, I can't be bothered. You withheld yourself from a superhero movie. Yeah, I'll watch it. It's like those ancient Christians that whip themselves, isn't it? (laughs) What did he used to call that? Flagellation. Flag- so you flagellated yourself <laughs> by not watching X Men. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> That's a and, big, big word for you, Jeff. Yeah, and sorry, listeners, to put that image in your mind. Uh, <laughs> like being dragged across concrete. Oh, no, oh, we've been great there. Great movie, great <laughs> movie. So, Neil, would you recommend uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix to others? It's one of the worst X-Men film, and that's saying oh, something. Wow. Okay. It is. It's terrible. It's right. terrible. So... Let's chat about something that's a bit more upbeat. Graham, do you want to introduce this one? Yeah, another one I didn't see, uh, Rocket Man. And this is again Neil and Jeff, the life story of Elton John. Neil, the filmmaker, said this would be a warts and all biography. Is it? Yes. Oh, right. Very much so. Whereas um, Bohemian Rhapsody just maybe edited out a whole load and made it mm. sort of this might you know hint at things this is um full on yeah it's there's no messing around jeff was probably squirming in his chair most of it uh, i didn't enjoy it as much as bohemian rhapsody but we'll touch on reasons why in a minute uh, the beauty of it is that it's set up as a therapy session is in this great big glam 
orange outfit as he used to wear those things and he's stomping along a corridor throws some doors open and sits down and it's a therapy session and says i'm elton john and i'm a alcoholic drug addict got anger issues and shopping and shopping but he did shopping he didn't mention that one and and from that it just slowly strips away the sort of glam Mm. until he's into a tracksuit. And then this goes um, flashbacks to, as a young lad, the kids who are doing him, two of them, I think, are really good. I mean, proper pianists. Mm -hmm. So you can see the, the quality. And he really was a very good pianist, but it was a very strange house. To be fair, I lived only about a mile away from him. (laughs) And I don't think my household certainly wasn't anything like his. His dad was a bit shell-shocked from the war, but he had a second family on the go for crying out loud. He eventually did get a second family and was happy, but no, he wasn't with uh, this one. You've actually touched on my first concern. I I am really worried with biopics where people are still alive or too close to the material. Well, we can't actually help that. Because he was an executive producer and probably right. funded quite a lot, so well, he, he, he did he, a TV. He got on well with he did a TV Vaughan. thing, didn't he? T- uh, tantrums and tiaras, which gave a lot of the warts and all. It's a sort of it's a therapy session for Elton John. I've done all of this. Tell everybody. It gets rid of everybody off his back. What did you do here? You know, uh, press and all that sort of stuff. It's all out there. Yeah, this is me. Except it's and, not. And now I'm happy. No, and no. that and that was a really, really well done thing. And I thought it was excellent. The work, and the songs cutting into it were extremely good. Taron Egerton, of course, is um is absolutely outstanding. I would agree with that. That Edgerton is really good. The musical numbers, the musical fantasy numbers are great. Mm. But the problem it comes back to is that this is a guy who was closely monitoring the story on screen. And it was almost like a card trick. You were looking at things that either weren't true or he didn't want you to see. And I'll give you two examples, right? I'll give you two examples. The first one is the father. That did not happen in that way. A lot of what is said about his father is how when he grew up with his mother after his father left, she influenced him into this is how his father was. And I've read a lot since the film that the father was not like the way he's portrayed in the film. If that is the way he remembered it, then that is how he views his childhood. If his mother mother wasn't a very nice person either, I can understand her poisoning his mind. But if that's the way he thought it happened, then there's not much he can do, really. And that's the point of objectivity when you make one of these sort of I mean, he shows they do show that he is a very musical person and his dad was very obsessed with jazz so that's possibly where he gets his music from yeah his dad just wasn't right after the war that's not how the true story goes if you look at other accounts but as i'm saying you're quite right this is what elton john remembers yeah and he is the controller on the film. The second is the marriage. So he married a woman for four years, and that's glossed over in about 30 seconds. But it's, it's but he thing. does say, and as they get married, he said, it was a bit cruel, this, because he basically ignored her, because he wasn't heterosexual. I felt that, yes, okay, that was quite quick, 
But, frankly, as he felt as part of his life, she was a very tiny bit. And there you come to the point I'm making. In his opinion, that was part of his life, and he felt well, he was trying there. to get the press off his back because he could show yeah. that he and was that's really heterosexual. Key. And that's really key. And, and I, I don't think that came out in the film. No, maybe they could have pushed it a bit more. But, I mean, he did say it was very cruel on her. I just have a real thing with biopics. And there was a, a film in 1977, The Greatest, about Life of Muhammad Ali. And Ali had a lot of say on that film. Mm. Yeah. And it's bland and it's boring. This is a better film. There are moments in it that are really good. As I say, I think the musical numbers are really great. Mm, They're fantastic. Yeah, but I just think we haven't seen the real centre of Elton John in this film, as good as it is. What do you think, I don't think we're going to get much more. They were really what there was lots and lots and lots of warts. He wasn't a perfect man, and he admits that. The anger issues and the way he treated people, he regrets it. And this is his apology, if you like, to everybody he's been horrible to because of drugs, because of basically anger with everything. He never found happiness until he got married to David Furnish. And it comes across hugely that he isn't happy. And that manager that he had, who just took a piece of absolute horrible but he the game of thrones star and he said when they had a major argument he said yeah but i'll still be taking 20 percent when you die but he remained his manager till 2000 and you wouldn't have gotten that impression from the film he was also involved. he didn't have a choice he'd signed up for life he was also involved with queen as well wasn't he yes sum it up then neil what would you say i didn't recognize bryce dallas howard Actually, no, no, that's to be fair. She is extraordinary. How the hell? She was really, really good. She's Um, out. I just didn't see her in that character or or from the voice. I heard a very unfair thing said about her performance, which I, and I'd say it's unfair. I don't agree with it. It said she did that role in that way because they couldn't get Gemma Atherton. Oh, that's harsh. Because they probably could have got Jenner Atterton, but yeah, you you go with um, Bryce Dallas but Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard was brilliant <laughs> every absolutely. day. And um, another shout out, uh, Julian Day, the costume designer. You must have worked <laughs> overtime because some of those costumes were ridiculous. Oh, Stephen McIntosh. I thought the if his dad was played well, if it's true or not. But the war affected dad. He did that very well. And the interactions between Elton and Bernie Taupin, the only guy who really loved him as a brother, despite everything and despite a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, they decide, described Elton as from a drabble, pallid suburb, the critics. Bastards. <laughs> That's where I'm from. I mean, they, they're tr- it's fair comment, to be fair, but, what? yeah. Drabsville, London. Yeah, horrible, the suburbs. It's not perfect. Uh, there's a summing up for me, it's not perfect. Came out of the cinema smiling. Exactly what else can you ask for a film? Uh, and I will just end, uh, I have reservations about the film, but I would say I think Dexter Fletcher is fast becoming one of our best directors. Yes. Wow, that is interesting. Okay. He was good, he, yeah, and yeah, he did, uh, obviously did um, Bohemian Rhapsody. And Eddie the Eagle, which is a film I actually oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. I must try and watch that. Okay, thank you. So the final part of reviews are where just one member of the team has been able to see the film. And let's kick off with Woman at War, which is reviewed by Graham. Now, this is an Icelandic comedy drama about Halle, 
an eco-activist who must choose between her beliefs and her home family life. Highly acclaimed, Graham, does it live up to the hype? Oh yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I went to see this on my own at a small art house cinema near where I live and I'd seen the trailer, I'd seen some things online and I thought, oh yeah, that, that, that looks good. It turned out to be absolutely brilliant. Film's m- very different uh, from most hard-hitting environmentalist cinema around at the minute. It's very funny and it, and it no way takes itself seriously. Yes, it's making a very important point about the destruction of Iceland's countryside, but it doesn't dwell on the larger environmental debate. Rather, it just focuses on one woman's struggle to hide her activities from the authorities, whilst adopting an orphaned Ukrainian child and dealing with the impending loss of her sister to a meditation and yoga cult in India. So there's a lot going on in her life, but <laughs> it just it's just a jet black comedy, silly in parts. Was this part of the Cheltenham International no, Film No, it's just a, it was just a film I saw. No idea where I saw it. I just saw a trailer for it, and I thought, "Oh, that looks fun." Net- Netflix or no, no, it's it was local cinema. It's got oh, a, right. it's got, an absolute, it's got oh. a, a UK release, and it's not in many cinemas. It opens the 2019 Stroud Film Society season. Oh right, so Does there it? you go. Mm-hmm. You'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. It's very Icelandic. It's very very colourful, very bright because they don't you get you know three months of the year is pitch black when the sun arrives they all go outside and they go crazy and this is just brilliant all the characters are bright and cheery uh, and in the case of the leading actor and i'm gonna screw her name up here because she's got one of those wonderful icelandic names i think it's haldora gurhas daughter <laughs> something like that Dot- yes. yeah she's Gerhard's so calm daughter. and fun in the face of all the adversities, she's just wonderful. She's got the the acting grace and depth of Judy Dench and the comedic timing of of Lily Tomlin and the athletic abilities of Jason Stratham. You know, it's just phenomenal. And the director Benedict Ergunson is very successful in Iceland Icelandic theatre. Uh, and TV, and he's taken all that knowledge and skill and made this delightful film. His last film, Of Horses and Men, is high on my list to watch now. It was a darling of the film festivals a couple of years ago, so I'm going to try and catch that one. Everything about this film is great. The cinematography is exceptional, but the music is just something else. So the entire film music is provided by a fourth wall breaking live band, right? In fact, the music, whilst being brilliant and evocative, is also a running gag throughout the film. So the the musicians are actually in the film. So she cycles past them while they're playing the background music. Like Paddington. Yes. Paddington 2. And then you think, oh, that's that's an interesting little ploy. But then she goes into her flat and they're in her flat and they're changing the TV channel to give her information. <laughs> so they actually start to break the fourth wall. It's very, very good. I just thought it was the, this delivered the true promise of international movies, very different with loads of dry humour and a clear message. And then it just takes all of that stuff and runs with it. In a world where Hollywood executives don't want to take risks and we end up with the same formulaic movie every year, this movie is just like liberation. Even the identical twin sister trope in the movie was done with so much tongue-in-cheek, it must have physically hurt the actors involved. I loved it. Just great little movie. And it'll probably come to streaming somewhere and everybody should watch it. It's just cool. a great 
hour and a half. That sounds excellent, actually, Graham. Um, I think I'll put it on my list. The next film, Broken City, reviewer Jeff, catch up on the 2013 film starring Mark Wahlberg and Russell Crowe. Discredited police officer Billy Taggart Wahlberg sets himself up as a private investigator. Years later, Nicholas Hostetter Crowe, the mayor of New York, hires Billy to find out if the mayor's wife is cheating on him. Like all stories of its type, nothing here is what it seems. Thanks for that, Neil. It's a film I've been wanting to catch for years, and particularly because Brian Tucker, who wrote the script, it was one of those, it was going to be made a few years before, they couldn't get the finance in, it went onto the blacklist, which is the best unproduced scripts. So eventually when this film was made, it wanted to project itself as a modern-day take on Chinatown. You know, everything is corrupt. The people in charge are the most corrupt of all. Problem is, characterizations don't work, and Wahlberg is okay in a Philip Marlowe-type role, but he has a backstory that saddles with him that, quite frankly, just makes him annoying. (laughs) Oh, dear. Russell Crowe plays the type, as does the likes of Jeffrey Wright and even Catherine Zeta-Jones. So they're not really stepping outside. Now, the only one that makes an impression is Alona Ty who plays the secretary to Mark Wahlberg's detective. And funnily enough, we go back to last year's disappointment, The Happy Time Murders. The only real role in there that worked was the secretary to the private eye. And it's exactly the same with this film. She is brilliant. 2013, you'd have thought her career would be in the ascendant since then. It hasn't. It's just not taken off at all, which is a real shame. Mood lighting is great. Music is good. It's just a missed opportunity. You know, I... It took me a number of years to catch up with it, and I was disappointed when I did. So it doesn't give me anything new. Sorry about that one. Back over to you, Neil. Okay. Just a second. Where did you find it? Where did I find it? Blu-ray. It's that old format thing, you know, that comes on a disc. It's actually its own backup. It's got a feature. It does turn up quite regularly, I think, on Channel 5, this film. Oh, right. Um, You know, it's okay. It's not a disappointment. It's got a great cast. It just doesn't use it properly. Hmm. So it's a shame. Cool. Thank you for that. Thanks for that, Jeff. Uh, Next one is I Am Mother, reviewer Graham. After an extinction event, a robot is charged with raising a human child. As time passes, questions are raised by the child about the outside world. A feature bought by Netflix earlier this year. Is it any good, Graham? Yeah, actually, surprisingly, it is. It's very good. It's an engrossing sci-fi movie. This is like the excellent Annihilation of last year, uh, a deep and disturbing film based on the sci-fi of ideas, not action-adventure. I mean, it's excellent three-hander with the eponymous mother, a robot played by Luke Hawker and voiced by Rose Byrne. Uh, And the daughter is played by young actress Clara Ruggard. And the rogue element in the mix is wonderful Hilary Swank 
It's a great concept. I just, I really enjoyed it. It's got excellent twists and turns and it just keeps you wrong-footed up until the very end and the final twist is a real punch in the gut. I would have loved to have seen this at at the cinema, actually, but unfortunately I think that non-action sci-fi is going to be confined to the streaming services from now on. Smart sci-fi is disappearing from the big screen. That's my prediction for the next few years. But this is a really good one. You can catch it on Netflix. It's well worth a watch. Excellent. Thank you for that. Well, you could always see X-Men Dark Phoenix. That's your big sci-fi on the big screen. Yeah, and guess which film I didn't see. Yeah, for good reason. Next one, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Reviewer Jeff, which we've all seen lots of times. Classic 1988 film which blends animation and live action. In a world where animated characters and real people live together, Detective Eddie Valiant gets caught up in a murder case seemingly done by Roger Rabbit. Jeff, is this better than Happy Time Murders? Yes, the only thing is. The reason it <laughs> is knew? better... Who the, knew? Well, yeah, no, no, that's fair enough. And I know you look down on me cynically. Well, actually, you always look down on me cynically. Yeah. So, um, but the reason this works and that doesn't... Well, okay, there are numerous reasons. But one of the main reasons is, the clever thing with Roger Rabbit is, it's not set in modern day. It's set in its own fantasy world. It's set in the 1940s that doesn't exist. So we talk about Broken City, wanted to be a detective tale. This is a detective tale that works set in period. So when you've got something that's not a modern day, then you add a fantasy element built over the top of it, it works. It's much more accepting of the characters, the likes of Dumbo and all of those guys when they turn up, as opposed to something like Happy Time Murders, which is set in modern day, It just doesn't work. It just doesn't feel right at all. The reason I watched this film again was all down to M, who we've got coming up in an interview next month. But M on her podcast, Verbal Diorama, did a whole piece on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it intrigued me enough to go back and look at it. And for the most part, it's great. It's great fun, really good mixture of the animation, and you've got characters that you'll never see in a film. You know, you've got scenes with Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. Mm. or Daffy Duck and Donald Duck. You'll never see that again. And that was because Spielberg had that clout at that time. Unfortunately, in our time of CGI, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't look that good. If you look at the long shot stuff, it looks really poor. And the characterization of Doctor Doom, now I've, again, gone through a number of the stories on this film. They didn't know where the villain was going to come from. And you don't know enough about this Doom character to make him that scary. So I think the script could have done with a bit more work. But Alan Silvestri's music score is brilliant, and Bob Hoskins is just genius. I mean, there's a scene in this film, and again, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend going back and have a look at it, where he comes out of the bathroom, and he's covered in hair on his back and his front. Now, what modern-day Hollywood film would allow an actor to have that much body hair? <laughs> Never matter about anything else. So I thought that was great. But uh, I think, again, I didn't realise most of it was filmed in the UK. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, the bit where the weasels come into the house and he's putting 
He's doing the washing up of his... And he's got Roger Rabbit held under the water. And every time he pops his head up, he's got to push him back down again. Motion of Roger Rabbit underneath the water, making it all slosh around. He's pretending he's doing the work. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, and they got little machines doing this, and they animate over the top of it. Yeah. So even more barking mad in the making of this film, you've got Charles Fleischer, who did the voice of Roger Rabbit, just off camera... In a rabbit costume, doing the voice. Now, (laughs) really funny story is that, again, this is being filmed, as I said, mostly in the UK. And when they had break, they'd go down to lunch and Fleischer would go down in his little rabbit costume. I don't know who it was, but somebody connected. It may well have been the director, Robert Zemeckis, but they overheard two of the security guards saying, that Roger Rabbit character, that's never going to work in the film. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it is good fun to go back to. It just... In the CGI times, the flaws in it now. Yeah, it's never going saying. to be perfect, is it? And uh, Jessica, obviously. Ah, no. Jessica is another story. It's a great old story. <laughs> so they were really worried with the Jessica Rabbit character it's because of the way she porn. Yeah. And do you know how they got round getting it into this, into this film? Her breasts bounced the wrong way. Ah. If you look at it and look at the way her no, character no, moves. No, I'm not looking at a rabbit. <laughs> no, no. Not at all. <laughs> no. No, as they say in the film, is that a rabbit in your pocket, Eddie, or are you just pleased to see me? I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a bad person. I'm just badly drawn. drawn yeah, yeah, just drawn that way. It's brilliant. Again, just voice, by, voice, by, voice by Kathleen Turner. Amazing. Ah, yeah. So, no, no, it's good. And the other funny story is there were loads of little in-jokes where they, like Betty Boop, they had yeah. two, three frames where she's topless. Oh, right. And that was fine when it was in the cinema. But, of course, the moment it comes out in video and now Blu-ray and DVD yeah. and even streaming, you can pause. So all of those uh, frames have to be removed. Yeah, worth a look at. I don't think it's aged as well as it should have done, but it's still good fun. Mm. The next one, Jeff again, The Green Mile. Prison, 1935, Paul Edgecombe, Tom Hanks, is the prison officer in charge of Death Row. His life changes forever when murderer John Coffey, Michael Clark Duncan, arrives on the block. Does this one hold up? Uh, yes, much better than uh, Roger Rabbit. It does hold up. <laughs> yeah. um, the reason I rewatch this is because we've got a piece coming up on BBC Radio Gloucestershire, where we're going to be talking about this film. How Nicky's going to survive getting through this one, I don't know, particularly the death scene, the electric chair sequence that goes wrong where he doesn't put the water under the sponge, which is real horror movie stuff. You know, it's just a great film. I loved it. I loved it. I watched it, obviously, as well, because we're going to do this together. And I'd forgotten how good a movie this was. And I must admit, my wife and I sat down and we just had a, a blast. It's nearly three hours, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. three hours long and it just flies by. Really good. Hanks is excellent, as is John Coffey, played by... Uh, Michael, Michael Clark, Clark Duncan, Duncan. Who got the part thanks to Bruce Willis. Oh, really? Yeah. And Bruce... he won a, didn't he win an Oscar for that performance? No, he was nominated. Nominated. Um, okay. So he worked with Willis and got on really well on Armageddon. Willis heard this <laughs> film was being made. Jeez, go from and... Armageddon to <laughs> the, the Green, Green Mile. Mile. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, no, I just love the whole, <laughs> the, the religious element of it. I mean, they toned down what King had done in the story. There's much more. I mean, when they go to the woman with the brain tumour, 
there's almost like a, a good and evil battle between an angel and a devil that takes place there. That is taken out of the film completely. Yeah. Uh, although visually, what I liked about what Frank Darabont, the director, that is, is when Coffey does one of his little miracles, the camera pans up to look down, almost like God looking down. So I, I, I thought all that was really clever. Hank's was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I was frightened to read that John Travolta was offered the part first, but thankfully turned it down, whereas Hanks was just amazing in this film. So it's a great film. I look forward to talking about it with clearly a shell-shocked Nicky on Friday. <laughs> you think pretty much the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. I just thought it was it was excellent. I'd, I'd forgotten so much of it, and it was just like greeting an old friend I hadn't seen in years. It was just... It's just proper filmmaking. Mm. It's, it's well shot. It's a cracking story. It's a cracking it? story. And there's so do, many do you things. you strap your old friends into electric chairs? Yes. That's the first me, thing Jeff. you do with the them. Chair, yeah, if they stay no. too long. It was, yeah, and that's, I'd forgotten how horrible that scene yeah. was. Just basically goes on fire and you just, yeah. you think, oh, I Burned don't want to be death. there. Yeah. yeah. And then the character of Percy, the horrible guard, is just so slimy and horrible. And yeah, it was just great. Every yeah. person at the top of their game in that, mm. in that film. Yeah. And a young Sam Rockwell. Young Sam Rockwell being really horrible and sort of redneck murderer and the twist at the end when you see what he's really done in his life is just quite shocking. Yeah, no, no, great film. Okay, let's go on to Films of the Month then. Neil, what was your Film of the Month? Toy Story 4. Easy, that was an easy one. Um, And for the catch-up... I'd love to say Roger Rabbit, but it's the Green Mile, of course it is. Graham? Uh, for me, as I haven't seen a lot of these films, definitely Woman at War. But if I had to pick a favourite, yeah, it'd be the Green Mile. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know me, I hate to spoil a party, <laughs> but I've got to agree with Neil, actually. Toy Story 4 and the Green Mile. It has to be, really. Toy Story 4 is so good, and, the, is, and the Green Mile is, is uh, has to be better than Roger Rabbit, although I'm struggling on that one. Although I will say that beginning of the year, we were all going... <sighs> Toy Story 4, have they... You yeah. Know, yeah. We yeah. were no, all no, no, very they, dubious. Yeah. I was walking into the cinema still wondering, even <laughs> yeah. though Jeff yes. told me. Yeah, and and then when you read after that this is in development before Toy Story 3 started filming, because they already had this way that they were going to wrap this Bo Peep character up. I love it when that sort of thing happens in the cinema industry, because it doesn't happen enough, you know, where somebody says, we've done three, you know, and now we're going to do another one. Um, and I'm looking at you, Peter Jackson. Why did you do that with The Hobbit? Yeah, okay, let's return this back to normality, and I believe we have a new feature. Let's go over and talk to Deck. Welcome this month to Deck, who will be joining us every other month to talk about streaming and occasionally traditional TV. Jeff, over to you to introduce Deck. Can't wait to hear what he's going to recommend. Hello, and welcome to a brand new feature from your At The Flicks team. It's called Carry On Streaming. Do you get that one, Neil? It's a reference to your childhood. Where, every other month, Deck will be joining us and talking us through what he's watched, what's worth watching, what's coming up. Hi, Deck. how are you doing? Very well, thank you. So, are you looking forward to this? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got a list, so that's good. Let's start with what you've recently watched and what you're still watching. 
Okay, well, one thing I've just finished is Black Summer. So, I mean, if you're not into zombie stuff, then maybe it's not for you. But oh, it's, centered like around the Z- it's centered around the Z Nation universe, which I haven't actually watched because it was on sci-fi. But this is a, a different one. It's on Netflix. It's only eight episodes. I just love the tension. To me, horror films are about tension rather than gore. And this ramps it right up to 10. I mean, one of the episodes, I was meant to be eating my tea and I, I think it went cold because <laughs> I was just like, I just stopped and I was just gripped. It's that whole thing of, you know, what's around the corner. I just think it's done really well. And, it, and it's only eight episodes. So I, I recommend giving it a try, anyone. You know within a couple whether you like it or not. So Z Nation is more of a comedy, yet you say this is tension. Yeah, yeah, they've taken a slightly different slant on it. I like the fact that the zombies can run. You, you know, to outrun them, you have to run for your life, basically. And not everyone can. So people get caught. You know, no spoilers, but no one's safe because they're all, they're all pretty much unknown sort of actors and actresses. I didn't recognize them. You don't know who's next. The first episode, you followed like six different people. So it'd come up with a name and you'd follow that and then you'd see the same scene from someone else's point of view. It sort of joins up. I like that style of filming. I thought it was weird. That's definitely for me. I don't know about the other two. Okay, what else is there? In terms of streaming, it's not just Netflix. I I watch a lot on iPlayer. One of the things I've just finished watching, which I liked, was Ghosts. It's by the Horrible Histories team. I loved the Horrible Histories. when I know it's a kid's program, but I thought it was hilarious. And they've sort of tried to do a an adult version of Horrible Histories a bit. I just love the cast. It's a bit silly. You know, it's only half an hour episodes. It's a nice humour. It's not you know, rude or anything. I, I like that. So yes, I, I watched Ghosts and enjoyed that thoroughly. Oh, excellent. And then the ones I'm sort of partway through, just started watching Years and Years, the new Russell T. Davis. Got a great cast. It's Emma Thompson, uh, Russell Tovey, Rory Kinnear. The whole box set's not available yet. They're only two, three episodes in, but it will be by the time this goes out. You have to stick with it because in the first episode, it's very political correct. It's like they've gone to the extreme. So there's a disabled person, black person, there's a, a gay couple. They've, they've, they've ticked all the boxes. It's almost like a setup. And everyone I know that's spoken to, almost after half an hour, think this isn't going to be very good. But stick with it because the last 15 minutes of the first episode is amazing. It sort of carries on from that. It's a bit like Black Mirror. It's set in like the near future. And it's sort of what could happen with Trump and Brexit. So it's like very close, but but how the world could take quite a dark direction because so the politics is quite apt and the technology is it's sort of like today's technology but just gone a little bit more so yeah i quite like it because it's very believable same as like with black mirror where you watch that and you can see where they've taken a bit of technology and pushed it a little bit further i think i prefer the future of black summer <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, that's true. He got probably got more chance of surviving. Absolutely. Um, and then I, I love Mum, and it's third, third, and I think the last series of Mum on iPlayer again. Leslie Manville and Peter Mullen, excellent. I don't know if you've watched any of the other series, but I, again, it's it's my humour. It's it's I just it's a nice humour, and I like that. So, what's the setup on that one, Dick? Because everybody's shaking their head, no, you. <laughs> Nobody's seen this. You're on your own, mate, here. <laughs> it's basically a mum. She lost her husband. You know, she'd been married for a long time. Basically, there's about six of them. So there's her and there's her son and their son's girlfriend and then her brother and his wife. So the first series is more how to get over grieving because obviously they've just lost their father and then and there's things that, you know, and it's just very realistic, nice sort of comedy, really, where an observational thing of life. 
it's very realistic and it's just a lovely British sitcom, I suppose. And again, it's on its third series. I'm hoping it is almost the last because I think they've done as much as they can with the characters now. The other one I'm watching is the Looming Tower, the 9-11 drama. Yes, no, I'm yeah, watching I've that. Seen that yeah. yeah, So I'm enjoying that. So Jeff Daniels is very good. It's quite shocking. You don't know how much to believe whether the CIA and FBI did keep things from each other as much as they, they're making out. I don't know, but it is interesting. My understanding is somebody did report in that when they were training to be pilots, they said, well, we just want to know how to fly in the air. We're not worried about takeoff and landing. And that set an alarm bell off and it got reported in and lost as much as I understand it. So you're right. They, but to see it in the way the show unfolds, you've got Jeff Daniels, got Peter Skarsgård playing off against each other. There's no good guys or bad guys because they've all got shades of darkness to them. I, I think it's tremendous. And then the other two that I'm sort of not sure whether to stick with. Dead to Me on Netflix is quite an interesting concept. Again, it's another one about grief, about someone lost their husband, but it has a bit of a twist to it. So it starts off as you think it's going to be a normal wife's lost her husband and grieving thing, but actually it's, there's an interesting twist to it. So that sort of kept me going. At, at the end of each episode, there's, there's a slight change. I quite like that. So it's, it's, it's keeping me intrigued. But I'm not gripped, if you know what I mean. But it is keeping me oh, intrigued. Right. So I probably will have finished that. So I'll be able to report back whether it does sort of stick with it and have a good ending or not. The trailer looks good. I mean, they, they keep spamming me with the trailer for yes. saying, this is applicable to you. You would like this. And the little trailer is great where she says, oh, I can't imagine what it's like to lose my husband. And she <laughs> said, oh, it's just like George being hit by a truck at 50 mile an hour or whatever and it dying, is. Yeah. And dying, yes. Yeah. So it does. it does look good. But there's just so much other stuff on Netflix. This is the problem. And then the other one, which I think I'm probably going to stop on, is I started watching Bonding. I think this is trying too hard to be like sex education, but not as good. Whereas sex education was brilliant. Um, I'm finding Bonding, again, it's a, it's a young lad and a, and, a, and a young girl, and they're sort of earning money by doing bondage sessions sort of thing for people. But it's not as funny as I think it should be. In my eyes, it's trying too hard. You know, when a comedy yeah. tries too hard, mm, yeah. people will find it funny, I'm sure. But so I'm not, that one might actually just fall off the radar. But that, that's what I'm watching. That's everything I'm watching, have watched or been watching at the moment. I, I assume, Dick, if it's about bondage, it's got to be on Netflix. That's right, it is, yeah. Guys, the one thing I can recommend, I haven't actually watched it, but I watched it when it was on at the cinema, but I noticed it's on Netflix now, is the film, The Girl With All The Gifts. Absolutely yes. brilliant film when it came out in the cinema. It's now on Netflix. If they want to watch a good film, to just watch that. The other ones on my list to watch are The Wife, Glenn Close, one that she was Oscar nominated for. I missed that at the cinema, unfortunately. It had a limited release and I missed it, so I will definitely catch that. And the new Chinese science fiction film, The Wandering Earth, looks quite interesting. I've seen that, and it is bonkers. It's great. It really is very, very clever, very well done, but it's very Chinese. It's very, oh yeah, we can do this. This is not a spoiler because it's in the first five minutes. The sun is expanding and is going to engulf the Earth, so they attach rocket motors to the Earth, stop it spinning, and they're going to fly to another solar system. Now, there's <laughs> there's big ambition. That's Space 1999. Yeah, if Space 1999 was with the moon. Yeah, but it's the same principle. It's the same principle. They didn't attach rockets, though. No, so, the nuclear things they dumped at the yeah. back blew up. It's very good. It's very well thought out, but it is bonkers. It is absolutely <laughs> crazy and great fun. I enjoyed it. I just thought it was great fun. Okay. What else is on your list? That sums up all the things that have, are out at the moment um, that I've either been watching or hopefully going to watch soon. Excellent. 
So next is the things that are coming up. There's some really good stuff coming up. I'm quite excited about some of these things. So even though Netflix are plowing out an awful lot, and I actually think they're plowing out too much, and you can scroll all day <laughs> looking for <laughs> yes. stuff if you want to. So these Brilliant. are the ones that are on that I think are the, the highlights over the next month or so. So first of all, at the end of May, it's only four episodes. There's a true crime drama called When They See Us. It's about five teenagers that were uh, locked up for a rape that they, they didn't commit. So it's based on a true story. It's got a really good up-and-coming young American cast. One of them is the guy, the young lad who was in Moonlight. Um, and there were a couple of others as well that have been in films. So I think they've picked some of the best up-and-coming young American talent. And it looks like it'll be a really, really good series. So this is a documentary or is it a drama? It's drama, true crime drama. The next one, which I've mentioned already a few times, but uh, Black Mirror has got three new episodes coming out on the 5th of June. Again, I'm excited about this. I mean, one of them is Andrew Scott, um, who I highly recommend, one of my favourite actors. He's playing like a taxi driver, um, and that looks really interesting. And then you've got another one with Anthony Mackie in from the uh, Avengers universe. He's in another episode. <laughs> Jeff's shaking his head. crashed it for me there, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Black, Black Mirror is usually good. And the fact it's only three episodes as well is everyone's going to be really excited and probably yeah. watch all three in one go. So, But if it's as good as the previous stuff, then it'll be great. So really looking forward to that. Didn't they do an interactive episode not so long ago? Yes, they did. Yes. Did that work or not? Uh, it didn't, didn't. A bit of a novelty, I think. Interesting, but uh, future maybe. Maybe it needs a bit more practice, but, but it was good. So, so none of these three are interactive then? No, no, no. Just straightforward three episodes. Okay. Um, another one is a bit of an unusual one, a supernatural Arabic series called Jin. It's out on the 13th of June. Again, it's only five episodes, but I've seen the trailer and it looks quite good. So I think the Jin in Arabic terms is like a spirit. Yeah. And I think... The understanding is there's a good one and a bad one or something, and it's but but that's about all I know. But it, I've seen the trailer and it looks quite good, and I like I quite often when you find a good foreign drama, I really get into it. So I'm I'm looking forward to that, and the fact it's supernatural as well, I think will interest me a lot. And then I know this one won't uh, won't interest you, Jeff, but one of my favourite Marvel series is Jessica Jones, and it's the third and the last one. I I still think the best one was the first one, mainly because the villain was played brilliantly by David Tennant, and one of the scariest villains. I think there's ever been on a Marvel series. Unfortunately, he wasn't so much in the second one. And so I don't know what they're going to do in terms of a baddie on the third one. But I'm quite pleased it's the last one. But I do like Jessica Jones. So I'm, I'm, I'm hope they finish it well. I hope they end it in a good way. Because two's right, I thought was okay. I mean, David Tennant was, was as you say, horrible. But he was only in the first one. Then she had him in flashbacks in the second one. Right. Where she's still being haunted by him. And he was pretty creepy. Was he playing the Winter Soldier? No. David no. Okay. No, he's Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, okay. Jeff. Right, sorry, we're okay. We had an interruption there from Grandad for a minute, but we're back on course now. <laughs> the other one is, I don't know if you guys saw the first series, but the second series of Dark, the German thriller, is out. This is, looks interesting. I think they're going to take it in a slightly different direction, but the first series was very good. You can either watch it with the subtitles or there are dubbed versions as well. But I highly recommend the first series. Um, I thought it was brilliant, and I'm really looking forward to the second series. What's it about, Dad? Basically, missing children, but it's it's not quite, I won't say any more, but it's not quite just that. There's a lot more to it. I don't want to spoil it. Basically, the concept is children start going missing, but then towards the end, you find out more, and then that's where it's going to be interesting where they take the second series. Quite looking forward to that. It sounds like it's something that'll fall into Neil's category. Foreign language, dark, like this Killian, whatever her name is, Eve, isn't it? Killing Eve. That's not really dark, is it? 
Oh, no, no, I don't watch it. It's not in a foreign language either. Have you still not seen? Have you still not seen no. Killing Eve? Jeez, no, Jeff. no, oh, no. My goodness. You've missed one of the best TV programs in recent history. Yeah. By a long mile. Oh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm struggling my way through Riviera at the moment, so maybe after that then. Well, I wouldn't bother. Stop that. Watch Killing Eve. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, quickly. It's, it's, the, the new... it's the weirdest thing when you start rooting for the serial killer. Yes. You know, for the, the, the woman assassin. She is so bonkers and so out there and so funny that you think, oh, don't, don't catch her. Just let her go. Yeah, the bit where she um, sees the woman coming down the stairs with carrying all the the old lady carrying the bags of of rubbish, yeah. and she stands there and goes, "Come on, you can do it. Come on." She doesn't help her. No. <laughs> and the relationship she has with her her sort of controller guy is just hysterical. Oh, yeah. Back to you, Dick. That's okay. There's a new Netflix original film that looks quite interesting uh, called Beats. So don't get it confused with the, the British one that's in the cinemas at the moment. But basically out on the 19th of June, it's a young hip hop guy who's lost his young sister recently. Again, it's been getting pretty good reviews. I'll probably try and catch that if it's around the 19th of June. Hopefully if I've watched, finished watching a lot of the other stuff, then I'll have time to catch that one evening. In terms of Netflix original film, I think that's the only film on my radar at the moment. And then, of course, building up to the big one, which is on the 4th of July, and the new series of Stranger Things. Again, I'm looking forward to, but I'm worried because I think the second series wasn't as good as the first. And yeah. I am worried that then they're not going to be able to hold it. I mean, there'll be an interesting angle that the boys growing up now, yeah. um, they're obviously starting to fall in love and then all the adolescents and everything. So there is that part of it, but I'm still not sure. I think. It, in some ways, it would have been just good to finish after two series. But obviously, I mean, I've read that the writers want to write loads, so they'll just keep going. And as long as it keeps doing well, they'll keep doing more. So we could end up with six, seven, eight series, which I, I always think is a shame. I think when you've got a really good series, I almost like it to finish so then I can watch it again, if that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of series lose me after three, four, basically because the characters, you've got to know them so well. Where can you possibly go? And like recently with Line of Duty, which was one of my favorite series, but I found the first three definitely. And then the fourth and fifth series haven't quite been as good. And I think it's just because it's been done a lot now. It's very repetitive and yeah. therefore it hasn't got the dramatic thing that you had before. Um, and then finally, the, en- the only other one that's on my list. Now, it- it's on my list, but it's on Amazon. Good Omens, yes. which is basically mm. Terry Pratchett and Neil yep. Gaiman. Waiting for that. With a definitely. Absolutely fantastic cast. Okay, well that's a that's a hell of a lineup. Definitely going to try that years and years. And Black Summer, those sound really good. Uh, I'm not too sure about the Wandering Earth. The Wife is on my list. Gin sounds great, actually. Like the sound of that. Yeah, I think that'll be up your street. Definitely, I yeah. think it will be. Jessica Jones isn't on my list, but um, it's definitely on my uh, list. Yes, yes. Wow, that's a that's a lot to get through this summer, Dick. Will yes, we- it is. It is. Well, when we get together next to do uh, the the next catch-up in a couple of months' time, I will hopefully have Paul here as well. To, so we can have a general discussion about what everybody likes. Because, you know, Paul, he, he's rather shy and he holds back on what he thinks. He's just a wallflower, really. <laughs> he yeah. does. It, it does. You'll have lots of editing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll try and coax it out of him slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the last thing I edited with Paul in it, he was uh, absolutely brilliant. He didn't swear at all. We haven't forgotten you, Paul, if you're listening. Okay, Dick, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Hopefully you get some time to get some holidays this summer as well. Hope so. Okay, we will catch up with you in a couple of months' time for more of what's on and what's coming with Carry On Streaming. Thanks, Dick. Cheers, Dick.
Cheers, Dave. Thank you. A few more shows to add to my to-watch list. That list must be past Pluto by now. Which is, I think, my favourite of the Rick and Morty shows. Yes. The is is Pluto a planet? <laughs> okay, carry on. Sorry. As for July, we have a show on Stroud's secret suffragist, the film, an interview with a fellow podcaster in our mid-month show, a discussion on the Coen Brothers films in our pod short with Phil Foster, plenty of reviews, and the return of Lucy to our end-of-month show. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap, and another at the flicks is in the can. Neil, do you know what? I do see you as a Toy Story character. Ham. And your choice is easy. Jessie, you always dress like her. (laughs) And I feel like the toy collector in Toy Story 2 (laughs) when the two of you go on like this. And to everyone else, thanks thanks for for listening listening and and goodbye. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website, attheflicks.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you.